The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for this show comes from Golf Breeze Recovery. Our non-12-step program is changing the future of addiction recovery with our Waterfront Holistic Drug Treatment Facility. You are not broken. Visit us at golfbreezerecovery.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today, Dr. Jane McGonigal, is a world-renowned designer of alternative reality games games that are designed to improve real lives and solve real problems. She is the New York Times bestselling author of Reality is Broken, Why Games Make Us Better and How They Can Change the World, and is the inventor and co-founder of Super Better, a game that has helped nearly half a million players tackle real-life health challenges, such as depression, anxiety, chronic pain, and traumatic brain injury. A story about Superbetter appears in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Jane McGonigal, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you, Rabbi Rami. Yeah, this is really interesting. Let's lay out the basic theory here. So Superbetter is based on, I guess you'd say, the science of games. So tell us what that is. What's the science of games? So for about 20 years now, researchers all around the world in the fields of psychology, neuroscience, and medicine have been trying to understand the different emotions that gameplay seems to provoke, the different mindsets it seems to unlock, and the way that playing games can actually change our physiology and our neurochemistry. So that's the science of games. And it just so happens that the neurochemistry and physiology of gameplay happens to be very beneficial if you are trying to make a change in your life, or you're tackling a real-life obstacle. So how does Superbetter take that theory and work with it? So I have to say it was kind of a fortuitous process designing Superbetter. I do have a background in game design, and when I set out to design Superbetter, I was actually approaching it as a game designer and not as a scientist. So I just did all of the things that every good game designer does when they try to design a game. First, you have to identify a challenge for the player that will feel exciting and provoke curiosity. You know, can I accomplish this? But also feels realistic and not overwhelming or too intimidating. And then you have to help the player get better and stronger by providing power-ups 
which are things that give you extra energy or increase your skills and abilities, more strength than you would normally have in the game. You have to identify bad guys for the player to tackle and give them different strategies for approaching them. You know, you give them quests, which are little things they can do to get closer to their goal. So all the things you do as a game designer, I tried to apply that to my own life. At the time that I invented it, I was recovering from a severe concussion. So trying to turn that experience, which was full of depression and anxiety and social isolation, to turn it into more of a gameful experience so that I could provoke that neurochemistry that comes with so much optimism and determination and resilience in the face of setbacks and also get more social support because when we play games, it's easier for us to connect with and have compassion for others. You say in the book that this will make you happier and braver and more resilient in the face of any challenge. And, and you mean real life challenges. Let's take an example from your own life. You've got two six-month-olds, and they came with some medical challenges right from the beginning. So tell us some of that story and how Super Better helps you with that. I have two beautiful six-month-old baby girls, and they were born in February, and they came 10 weeks early, and they were very tiny. They were three pounds each, and it was quite different from what we were hoping for as first-time parents, that experience. And for anyone who's had really premature babies, really tiny babies, who've gone through the NICU experience where they wound up being in the NICU for two months. It's quite a traumatizing experience. You don't have the control that you thought you were going to have to create that perfect experience for your babies. And you're suddenly dealing with all of these worries and your babies, instead of being cuddled, they're getting spinal taps and blood transfusions. And we couldn't even hold them for the first three days. It is terrifying and traumatizing. And we dove right into the super better method the second or third day. I got a notebook from my mother-in-law. She brought a beautiful little pink notebook. And we started using the super better method, just keeping lists of what are our power-ups. So things like skin-to-skin time, where you can eventually you know, hold your baby bare skin to your bare skin and it helps them bond. We started collecting allies. So we got to know every nurse in the NICU, every doctor. You see probably 10 nurses and doctors every day. So we would write down their names, you know, write down things that they like or the ways that they like to work with us with the babies so we could get to know them better and get their help more. We had quests that we had to do every day just so that we could feel productive and like we were actually accomplishing something. Even if it was, you know, as trivial as filling out the birth certificates and getting them to the clerk, you know, we, we could do something productive. And that really helped us through this process where you can feel so overwhelmed and be kind of brought down by the sort of anxiety and grief, really. It's, it's grief over not having that experience that you thought you were going to have. So are we looking at game as sort of a metaphor? I mean, I know it's actually something you've created, but this idea of being gameful or the way you're using super better in the context of your own challenge with the twins, is it sort of metaphoric in the sense that, that okay, this is how you'd play a game to win. Let's apply that to life. Let's take these seven characteristics of how to win a game. You call it going for the epic win. So are the the twins home yet? They are home. They're beautiful. They're doing great. So you've made the epic win there, right? At least the the first one in that game. There's lots more to come. So am I right, though? I mean, you're sort of taking this game outlook and people would apply it to their lives. Am I on target here? Absolutely. I call it the gameful mindset. So like playful, but gameful because... Being gameful means being a little more goal-oriented 
than just being playful and really focusing on getting stronger and more skillful and recruiting more allies and ultimately achieving a positive outcome. It really is a way of thinking that everybody adopts naturally when they play games. And it's not just video games. You know, if you're playing golf, if you play bridge, you adopt this gameful mindset, these ways of focusing on the possibility for positive outcomes, really working to improve your skills, that that way of trusting and bonding with others. We do it naturally when we play games. We just don't do it naturally when we're facing threats and challenges in our everyday lives. So it's just a matter of helping people access the same psychological strengths and the really resilient ways of thinking and acting that they adopt games. The best of the gamer mindset and then utilizing that in your own life. You listed in the book seven rules to live by according to the super better method. And you've mentioned most of them, but you didn't mention and twice now you haven't mentioned it, but it's the one that intrigues me the most, I think, is number six, adopt a secret identity. Right. So I've had a few different secret identities over the last six years since I invented this game. The first time I was Jane, the concussion slayer, and that secret identity and all secret identities are designed to help you focus on the signature strengths that you feel will be most helpful in facing this challenge and that you really want to call on and develop. So a way to focus on how you're strong and and not just how you're weak. So for the concussion recovery, I really wanted to focus on determination and that feeling like I was ready to battle any vampire, demon or concussion symptom. But, you know, as I went through other challenges that changed, you know, we actually had to go through a long fertility process to get our babies. And when I was going through IVF, I became Jane of Willendorf, which is a reference to the Venus of Willendorf, the goddess of fertility statue, you know, the giant round statuette, because I wanted to focus on my ability to love and be loved and really focus on, on those aspects of myself with the NICU. I adopted a secret identity based on a a shirt that a a friend gave me um, in that first week. It was a mama bear shirt. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to be like a mama bear. And my husband became papa bear. And we were just going to focus on just protecting our little baby bears and do whatever it took to really fight for them and get them the best care and get them the right attention and, and do whatever it took to keep them safe, but eventually take them out of the forest into our lovely home. I love that. So these are very astute psychological stances that you take in all seven of these, really. But you put it out in a playful way. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. That I think, and you can tell me if readers are responding this way, you put it out in a way that is not intimidating. It's playful. It's, it makes you laugh. It makes you smile, even in, you know, as you're identifying your challenge, especially, I think, when you link the first rule, which is challenge yourself, with the sixth rule, which is adopt a secret identity. The two of them go together so tightly. Here's my challenge, and here is the persona I need to adopt to win, to meet the challenge. Are people finding it more inviting I hope so. You know, we've been doing a clinical trial. We did a randomized control study with Penn because I wanted to be able to show 
through scientific research Science, yeah. that this works. Um, I mean, obviously, we've had half a million people play. We have their data online. These are people who played using our app or website. But and one of the things we found in doing this, the scientific research on it um, is that when we did the trial for clinical depression, half of the people who enrolled in our study were clinically depressed. They met all of the criteria for it, but they were not seeking any kind of therapy or support. They weren't in therapy. They weren't taking antidepressants. They weren't going through any kind of a process to actually try to deal with this, the full half of the people in that study. This was kind of something that seemed, you know, oh, play a game. That's something I can do. And I think that is important because not just for the individual facing the challenge, but also for friends and family that, you know, we encourage you to ask to play with you. It can be a lot less intimidating to ask for help in the form of inviting someone to play a game. You know, when I was dealing with my concussion and I was having suicidal thoughts, I couldn't think clearly even to try to communicate how bad it was to people to get the help I needed. But it was easier for me to say, I'm playing a game to heal my brain and I want you to play it with me to get people's attention and then to be able to say, you know, here are the things I need you to do. I need you to call me every day and give me a quest partly just because I needed to talk to someone every day. And it's when you have a long recovery, after the first couple of weeks, people sort of go back to their lives and you're still there and you still need social support every single day. So I do think putting it in the gameful framework is making it easier, certainly in my experience and in the players that we've seen, to either get real support for a problem or to get you know, also your friends and family more involved. So you mentioned the website. What's the uh, URL for the, the game's website? It's superbetter.com, and it's free, so you can just sign up and play. And when you go on there, there are groups that you can already join, right? You have allies working on similar problems, and you can become part of those conversations. Am I right about that? Yes, yeah. About 20,000 of our players are on the forums. So when you sign up, if you're not sure what your secret identity should be, you can write a little bit about yourself, and people will make suggestions, or they'll tell you their favorite power-ups, or they're biggest bad guys and they can help you kind of design your own game, which is really cool. So I'm wondering if you've gotten any feedback from you know people in your situation, just in, in being new parents or people who are suddenly new or going to be shortly or are now new grandparents, which is mm-hmm. a situation I'm going to be in shortly. Congratulations. Uh, uh, thank you. So how are people using this as a parenting tool over time? Have you noticed anything regarding that? I do hear from parents quite frequently who are using this with their kids for a whole range of interesting challenges. You know, I I was just speaking at the National Conference for the Autism Society and met a lot of parents who use Super Better Method with their with their young kids who are dealing with autism as a way to help them focus on their strengths and their skills. Because a lot of times when you have any sort of diagnosis as a kid, you're constantly being told that something's wrong with you, that you have to fix, or you have a a shortcoming and you have to try to overcome that. And so for kids with autism and learning disabilities, there's been a lot of use in those communities. And also just, you know, in everyday life, 
there's a story in the book that I really like from a, a mom who is dealing with a chronic illness and is using super better. And her daughter, who's eight years old, sees her using it and says, Oh, what are you doing? Oh, mommy's playing a game, but it's like a special game for grownups. And, and her daughter one day asked to borrow her phone to play a game. And her mom thought she was just going to play, you know, like Candy Crush Saga or something. And it turned out that the daughter had created her own super better power ups, like dancing with your friends and important power ups, like setting boundaries. So you don't get bullied in school Kids just understand the gameful mindset and they understand these metaphors so naturally because they've grown up playing so many games. So it's actually it's a really easy way to engage kids in feeling powerful in their own lives. I want to take the few minutes we have left in the conversation and just switch a little bit to your own background. You come to this as a game designer. You've got these technical skills, but you also come to it with a deep spiritual practice rooted in Zen Buddhism. Tell us a little bit about your Zen upbringing or training, and then tell me if you see a connection between that and you know what you do with Super Better. Sure. So I started studying and training in Zen Buddhism about 11 years ago now. It absolutely has oriented me toward thinking about suffering and really wanting to be present for other people's suffering and to make as my highest priority in the design work that I do to really have the practical goal of alleviating suffering. And it was something I was studying. I was in grad school getting my PhD at the time that I started studying Buddhism. I was studying games and I noticed that a lot of the ways that we suffer in everyday life, we don't suffer when we play. One of the things is obviously the ability to have incredible mindfulness, right? Games are an incredible way for focusing your attention and training your attention. And people think about them as being a distraction, but it's actually the opposite. When you look at the blood flow patterns in the brain from meditation and gameplay, they're identical. It is this incredible really? attention. Yes. One of the cool things that we've learned now through neuroscience and that in and of itself, it really intrigued me to try to look at how games might be able to help people be more compassionate towards themselves and to have that kind of right attitude. You mentioned that the gameful mindset is all about winning, but it's actually not about winning because most of the time we play games, we don't win. Gamers today, they fail 80% of the time when they play their favorite games. So actually, you, you have this wonderful detachment from outcomes and yet are incredibly wholehearted and passionate about trying to achieve a play positive itself. Goal. Yeah. 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 So, um, so something to think about a lot, but it just also, it's really guided me in wanting to create games that help people uh, and be aware that people are, are suffering every day with it, whether it's, you know, health and, and emotional challenges, family challenges, economic challenges, trying to create work that not only helps people train their brains and connect with others, but also to really directly address suffering. So have you ever created the Satori game? I mean, you can, you can have a game to help the rest of us who can't sit for long periods of time. I was at the Buddhist Geeks Conference a few years ago doing a keynote, and we did a game that, that was actually it was a very good Buddhist practice. It's called Massively Multiplayer Thumb Wrestling. And you get <laughs> everyone in the room connected because you hold hands with at least two people using both, you know, both hands, both thumbs, and get everybody wrestling at the same time. And it was a very kind of communal activity that raised and released a lot of energy, but also got people feeling, you know, physically present with everyone else in the room. Tell me about if I buy the book, I get 
access to things that I can't get just from reading the book, online access to things. And you also do personal counseling. So walk us through what we get when we buy the book and then how we can actually work with you personally or contact you for coaching. Sure. You can come on superbetter.com. And I have put together every single one of the scientific papers I cite in the book. I've got links to every reference. There are a thousand references. You can dig into the science. You can go onto the app and play the quest, you know, that you've read about in the book. There's lots of stuff to do. What's the age range on doing this? Is it really just for adults? For using the online tools, we ask you to be 13 or older, but many families adopt that kind of pen and paper approach that I personally use all the time myself. When we were in the NICU, I was just using a notepad. And so anybody can apply the ideas from the book. You know, I hear as young as six and seven years old who have been getting super better. Thank you so much for being on with us uh, today, Jane. My pleasure. My guest today was Jane McGonigal. You can learn more about her work at janemcgonigal.com. Her book, Super Better, is featured in an essay in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine, so please check that out. Support for this podcast comes from Gulf Breeze Recovery. Their non-12-step program is changing the future of addiction recovery with their waterfront holistic drug treatment facility. You're not broken. Visit them at gulfbreezerecovery.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a product of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats. And download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and our program coordinator is Alma Tati. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.